Ladies and gents, welcome back to another Engineers podcast. Today I'm joined by Ashley Grealish, who's the VP of Engineering at an organization called EV Energy. We've really recently had uh, another business on the podcast who've spoken about a similar space. So rule four green, sustainability, EV Energy, and we're going to explore this a little bit more and some of what they're building, but they're a charging app helping customers calculate the simplest cheapest and greenest way to do EV. Ashley, thanks for coming to join us. Thank you. Thank you, Ella. Pleasure. We always start by learning a little bit more about the guest and some of their background. So do you want to give us an intro into Ashley and help us understand a little bit more about the elevator pitch, if you like, for EV Energy? Yeah, of course. So. Um... Yeah, I'm Ashley, as you as you as you mentioned, I'm VP of Engineering here at EV Energy. I'll start with my background perhaps. So I um been in startups for a little while now. I've been um always focused on sustainability and um specifically I guess going back a few years, I studied electronic engineering and I've always been interested in that mm. um intersection between hardware and software and uh the startups that I've worked for have been in sustainability, but also in that kind of space. So thinking a lot about energy, uh, previously at off-grid solar energy uh, for a long time, and now energy in the terms of uh, electric vehicles and how we can use them to, to, to drive change in the, in the energy system. So EV Energy, a uh, very quick um, uh, intro to, to what we do, as you said, uh, Elliot, we um, we manage the charging of electric vehicles. So we change when and how they charge to use energy that is greener, so lower carbon emissions, and cheaper, so lower cost uh, to to actually charge uh, your car. We can go into into that a lot more detail uh, throughout throughout the call, but yeah, that's the the kind of headline. Yeah, I'd love to go into that. A little bit more and just understanding uh, i think the the business makeup but you're absolutely right i think what i've also found fascinating and we've spoken now to a company a couple of companies excuse me in the sustainability space that intersection between the hardware and the software piece um, my understanding throws up a couple of complexities so uh, it would be good to understand what what are some challenges from your side that you see around the hardware and software intersection? Yeah, of course. I guess um, I can give you a little more flavor on EV Energy first to yeah. set the scene and then dig into, into that question. So as I said, we manage, we manage the charging of electric vehicles. Um, let me tell you a bit about how it works. So um, an example kind of run through of, of how it might work. If you're a driver of, a, of an electric vehicle, you can go to the app store, you can download our app. Um, and then within the app, you're going to connect your car or your charger into our platform. So uh, we connect uh, those cars, those chargers in different ways, which is really uh, your question that we'll go into. But then uh, we, we manage that charging, as I said. So we need to know when it is greener, when it is cheaper. And so we integrate a lot with the, the energy system, the energy market, maybe your utility provider, the energy grid uh, operator, those sorts of people. 
and uh, understand from them when is greener, when is cheaper. And then we manage your car to, to suit those demands. So connecting to, 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 to cars, connecting to chargers, we do a lot of that. What are the challenges? Um, I think EV Energy has focused a lot on, on market coverage. So when you go to the App Store, when you download the app, we want you to be able to onboard. We don't want you to say, sorry, you don't have a compatible car. Sorry, you don't have a compatible charger. So we've really focused on getting wide market coverage. That means um, I think we're at more than 20 brands of electric vehicles and about the same in electric uh, vehicle chargers that we're compatible with. Um, and all of those, as you can imagine, are slightly different. So every car brand has a slightly different solution. Every charger brand has, has a slightly different um, approach to to the problem of, of uh, connectivity. So when we think about what, what are the challenges, let's split up a little bit. Let's talk about chargers first. Um, chargers, when I talk about chargers, I think just so we're in the, the right space, we're talking more residential charging. So the types of chargers you'll see in a driveway or in a shared car park or something like that, not the big, things you see at motorway service stations. So these, these chargers, they're at people's homes. They're connecting over maybe the home Wi-Fi or perhaps uh, a mobile network. These are pretty good, but the charger is often outside, quite far away from the, say, the, the home router or something like that. Um, they're typically internally running kind of lower power or, or lower spec kind of compute inside of it. So getting those to connect reliably to our network and, and do so in a secure way with encryption, authentication, all of this sort of thing. This can be a challenge and this is something we're really, really strict on. We want them to connect reliably, but we want them to connect uh, securely as well. So yeah, we spend a lot of time with our partners making sure we can, can get that secure connection as well into our platform. and. More importantly, keep it connected, keep it connected to our platform uh, over time. Um, the challenges on the vehicle side are probably a little bit different. So um, EVs, like most, um, most kind of new cars, will come with a telematic solution or internet connectivity built in. So um, you can use the vehicle manufacturer app and check. Um, perhaps how much uh, battery level you have, where the car is, that sort of thing. Maybe start the, the heating remotely. Um, that internet connectivity was built into the car. That's what we use. So we're kind of leveraging that inbuilt hardware into the car to connect uh, to the vehicle. That's typically quite good. Uh, we can connect quite well via the manufacturer's platform. But the challenges, um, are that cars move about. They sometimes go underground, they sometimes go into signal, uh, low signal areas. So we have to manage that and we have to think about how we, we, we um, message the correct thing to the user. Um, we don't want to say we've lost connection to your car when in fact it's just parked underground for a short period of time. Like that. So yeah, we have to manage the fact that cars can move, which is, I guess, fairly obvious. Yeah. Uh, excuse the irony, but there are a lot of moving parts in this yep. and 
uh, I think offline, uh, we want to particularly focus on the data ingestion of the platform. And you specifically wanted to focus on the collection and cleanliness of the data across millions of EVs and cars that you're actually sourcing this info from. So do you want to just break down that problem set for us and and talk to the audience around how you do that? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I guess let's again split it into, well, maybe before I split it down into the two, I think one of our key strategies, and this is perhaps a, an interesting kind of lesson from our business, is that we try to connect to, we call it both ends of the cable, but what that means is to the car and to the charger. And we do that for a few different reasons. One is that chargers can give slightly different data to cars and cars give slightly different data to chargers. And together we can get a really good picture of what's going on. But almost as importantly, there's redundancy there. So I talked about some of the challenges of um, connectivity, maybe things going offline at times. If we integrate with both ends of the cable, we have some resilience and some redundancy uh, in, in the system. The, um, but yeah, uh, so uh, then drilling, drilling back down into, into um, how we connect chargers. Um, I see three kind of archetypes of, of how to integrate a charger or, or some bit of hardware. So the first is um, that the charger will directly connect to our backend. So it will point at our server, it will send data, it will accept commands back. And the protocol that it uses between the charger and the and the backend is some proprietary um, thing for that manufacturer. This is probably the most challenging one. This is by its nature means it's unique uh, charger brand and, and we don't um, try not to do that. Um, the second way of doing it is a cloud to cloud, we call it integration, where you have a charger brand, they have their own software uh, service and their charger is communicating with their cloud system. And then we sit alongside that and we communicate with their cloud system via APIs. That's nice in some ways. That means the responsibility of, of keeping things connected is, is on the manufacturer. We get a nice clean um, API. And then, yeah, the third way is um, similar to the first, except there is a, uh, a, a protocol within um, the charging ecosystem called OCPP, the Open Charge Point Protocol, which is a, a WebSockets-based JSON um, standard so that the charger opens a WebSocket directly to our backend and we can send messages um, backwards and forwards. This is quite nice because it's standard. We can reuse it across lots of different chargers. But the complexity comes where not everything is quite as standard as it should be. Some people have only implemented parts of the spec or implemented, sorry, interpreted things in different ways. And we have to manage that, that complexity. Um, the, the other challenge is the WebSockets part of it. So every, every charger is communicating with us and opening the WebSockets. 
And um, like you said, as we, we're not quite at millions of charges yet, but that's where we want to go. As we get to millions of charges, there are definitely going to be challenges we face. And how do we, how do we keep open? Yeah. Uh, and the, the space is evolving so much. And you talk about uh, 20 manufacturers, that number's going to increase with uh, government commitments that we often see in the press. So there will be further manufacturers to integrate. And I think I quite like your third point around the reusability of some of that to be able to integrate with other manufacturers. I can imagine, and this is me doing some guesswork here, but I can imagine that zero to one manufacturer of finding your first manufacturer and exploring, or even on each point, exploring some of the challenges and what could go wrong, even as an example, the cloud to cloud solution, I guess the first time that you're doing an integration like that, you're learning a lot more about how you can go faster. Yeah, I, I, I think I mostly agree with that. I guess there's an interesting, um, there's an interesting kind of caveat there in that, um, if, again, if we talk about vehicles now instead of yep. charging, some of those vehicle telematics solutions that, that we've talked about, some brands are much better at building uh, high quality telematics solutions than others. So. Um, our first integration was to Tesla vehicles, which um, even when we started five years ago, had a really robust telematics uh, solution that allowed us to do everything that we need and to allow us to build a fairly um, robust system around that. And then that's got better and better over time. So um, about a month ago, Tesla released a a major overhaul of their telematic solution that makes it even better, even more robust, even more reliable. So that first one, we did learn a lot, but we were also, I guess, a little bit privileged in that we were working with a really high quality mm -hmm. service to start with. And then as we go through uh, more and more brands, we find different issues um, and, and things like that that we have to, to do more learning on. So I guess, yes, yes okay. or no uh, to that. Yeah, okay, fair point. Fair point. It would be good to go back to my previous question. Uh, you're obviously collecting, cleaning the data. Data is you know, a necessity for businesses nowadays. It would be really good to understand how and what you're using this data for to inform manufacturers, to inform customers about using your platform or just generally yeah. the collection of data? Yeah, of course. Um, so I guess the starting point for this is when a driver connects their EV or their charger to the platform, but first thing we're gonna do is collect data from that charger, things like, is the cable plugged in? What's the state of charge of the battery? Those sorts of things. And then recreate a view of the charging session so we can give a really simple view of you plugged in at 6 p.m., you charged till 10 p.m. Um, maybe we'll dig into that example a bit more because hopefully not that. But say you did that, um, and uh, we would then look at our integrations with the, the energy markets to see 
that charging session from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. cost you X amount of money and emitted X amount of grams of CO2 um, for that charging. That's the first thing. So we provide some visibility into what is the impact of your charging session cost on carbon. Um, but the step beyond that, and this is the, the true value of EV energy, is controlling that. So I said there, maybe you got home at 6 p.m. with your EV, you plugged in. Typically, it would just charge from then till it's full. So say you've commuted for a few days, not very far, you need to charge maybe 40%. Um, let's say it takes four hours to charge 40%, um, because I said 10 p.m. earlier. So that would charge from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Um, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m., especially in the UK, that would be a very expensive energy cost time. Um, for a driver, if you have like a fixed rate tariff, maybe you won't notice that maybe the energy supply won't be exposing the fact that that's a more expensive time to charge to you, but it is. And it's the, in terms of carbon, the dirtiest time to charge. Because everyone is coming home, cooking, they've got their lights on, heating, that sort of thing. You need to um, do things like fire up some new gas uh, power plants and things like that. So 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. is bad. So what we do, as well as telling you what the impact of that was, is optionally we can move that charging to when it's better. So um, we look at the data we have, we look at the data from your car, we see you need four hours to charge. And instead of charging at 6 p.m., we will delay that until, say, 1 a.m. in the morning when in the North Sea, lots of wind turbines are generating lots of clean energy. And we'll charge from, um, said, 1 a.m., so four hours up till 5 a.m. in the morning. You'll wake up, you'll get into your car at 8 a.m. You won't know, or you can look, but you won't really care about when it charged. All you'll know is it's charged fully. It's used the data. Um, that we've collected from your car to know when was the greenest. And it will show you, you've saved X pounds, you've saved this much, uh, this many grams of CO2 uh, in the morning. So yeah, that's that's what we use the data for. That's the, the value that, that the um, the drivers get from it. But there's a there's a, a third element to this, which is the energy energy system. So the energy grid, uh, if we look at somewhere like Germany, where there's a lot of home solar, or maybe California, um, there can be too much generation of solar uh, during the day. And if, um, if nothing's done, we have to stop installing new solar. That's not good. We want more solar. So we can work with the energy system. We can use our data to say, we can see there's going to be a very sunny day in two days' time. Let's schedule all of the cars to charge then and soak up that excess solar power that's going to be generated. And that kind of allows that energy system to build more, build more solar, build more wind uh, into the grid. And that's, that's very valuable. And um, those grid operators, those, those um, the people kind of managing that, they, they, they pay for those services. And we pass some of that back on to the drivers. So we collect your data, we make it lower cost, lower carbon, we integrate it with the energy market, and then we let you share some of that value um, back through the water.
Okay, interesting. I particularly like, uh, well, I, I love all the points. Point number three, I didn't know. I think the power in the algorithm at point number two, as in directing the energy to different times of the of the day, depending on UK as an example, six till ten PM is probably our biggest energy usage. So yeah. I love the power in the algorithm in that way. And I can see why it's it's a massively attractive proposition for manufacturers, customers to really know this information and gain smart insights from that to be able to use it. Going back to your third point. Mm. Yeah, exactly. To talk to us a little bit about how building across multiple devices, building across multiple countries, it seems now as well, yep. UK, Germany, you operate in the US. Talk to us about some of those challenges, building really good software. Yeah, it is. It is a challenge. I when in, when kind of interviewing uh, candidates for roles, uh, lots of candidates like to ask, "What is the biggest challenge you see?" Kind of technically, yeah. and I think there are obvious ones. We've talked about millions of drivers on the platform. The scalability challenges, but I always see those as um, solvable. Like people have solved scalability challenges before. I think, like you're you're touching on there, one of our biggest challenges is managing the complexity that comes with trying to build a solution that works for everyone everywhere so any driver can download the app and they'll have a unique combination of a car a charger and where are they are they in california optimizing for solar or or um in the in the uk um so yeah we have a lot of integrations and i think we talked about 20 vehicles 20 chargers ish slightly over that I think when it comes to code, we have to think really carefully about how do we how do we model those systems? How do we model what the kind of um, mandatory features of a charger are? Because we think we know what a charger is. It, it kind of charges the car. It's quite simple. But they're, they're all kind of implemented in a slightly different way. And what they can do, what they're capable of changes. So we have to really think carefully about the right level of of abstraction in our code. How do we model a charger? How do we model its capabilities? How do we do all that whilst keeping the interface user super simple? They shouldn't have to worry about the intricacies of what the charger um, can do. So yeah, we spend a lot of time designing good levels of abstraction, good good data models uh, for these systems. Um, and inevitably, a new charger or a new car will come along, and that will have to change. We'll have to um, rethink um, what we what we're doing there. So, um, yeah, this ecosystem is changing a lot. Things like um, yeah. this isn't really a new thing, but but vehicles being able, being capable of feeding energy back into the grid that changes our system quite a lot. That's something we want to to embrace. If batteries can charge when it's low carbon and export power back to the grid when when um when carbon emissions from the grid are highest they can use that clean energy feed that back in that can help lower the, the emissions but that changes our system again and we have to think about how do we adapt to yeah. these emerging um, technologies 
that's one that's one uh, way it changes how we write software and i think the second is really thinking really carefully about quality so we're asking a driver to trust us with managing the charging of their car if they wake up and their car's not charged they're not going to use it for very long um so every user has to have a really high quality experience so the kind of i don't know move fast and break things uh philosophy to building software perhaps that doesn't apply so much we think really carefully about quality and maybe some examples three metrics that we think deeply about one is accuracy so when we say that a car charged by say 10 kilowatt hours of energy how close to the truth is that um if we're getting that from a vehicle that can change that kind of accuracy or or how um how accurately it, it uh, reports that number could change based on weather like batteries get more efficient uh or less efficient based on the, the outside temperature every car brand is different in terms of how energy efficient it is at transforming energy into the battery we've got to adapt our system for all of those things it has to kind of learn what is the efficiency of this unique combination and we report on that as a metric that we call accuracy so how close to the truth are we um we also think about reliability so when we ask a, a car to charge say in the example we said 1am to 4am 1am to 5am i think how reliably can we do that are we are we getting that bang on 1am to 5am or are we getting that slightly off that's a metric we track that's a metric drivers really care about and then finally connectivity how well are we keeping those cards and chargers connected? We talked about that at the start. That's a number we look really carefully at. So we're a very kind of metric-focused software team. We're really looking at those metrics, trying to make improvements on those metrics to ensure that when a driver downloads the app, connects their charger, they just get a really seamless experience that charges their car when they wake up. Never, never undercharged, never anything like that. So, so yeah, being being metric focused, metric driven, data driven, that's super key. I like those three principles and actually listening to you explain a little bit more about the product itself. It really is a tier one service. Actually, when you think about how critical it is to people's lives, we have to have an accuracy of data. It has to be reliable 100% of the time. Imagine turning up at a charging station and you can't charge it in the connectivity point kind of ties in with the second point. Um, yeah. But you really do. And it seems that way have to treat it like a tier one service. It's mission critical. This is transportation, right? Yeah. You know, we wait and sit here for a period of time. So, and I think it would be really good to understand what that abstraction level looks like when you're actually looking at, building a new integration it'd be great to understand what kind of discussions are actually going around at that point to know what you actually have to think about or the level of depth of thought that goes into a new integration yeah. that'd be great to cover yeah of course i guess let's talk chargers as, as the example for this yeah. one so when we get a new charger we we didn't touch on this but we're a remote company we have engineers uh, about 40 or so engineers around the world. Um, but 
charges are physical things. And so we actually have one um, physical office uh, where a couple of the engineers sit. We send the charger there. They're responsible for kind of powering it up, connecting it to the energy system, connecting it to the internet, and then running for a, a suite of tests. So we have, um, call it the EV energy test tool, but take a charger, we point it at this system, and it will run through every test for issues we've ever seen in the in the past. So when we've seen a charger not support this way of doing things, maybe we've created a second way of doing things that allows us to still manage charging but with a different technique. So this tester will run through all of those and tell us this charger supports starting the charging of cars through this specific command but not this specific command. Um, and there's some mandatory tests that will run through. So if any of those mandatory tests, things like security, if those fail, we'll go back to the manufacturer and we'll say, we need to fix these things to make it secure before it can come onto our platform. But if it's something where we have a few different options of how to achieve that, that, um, that outcome, then we'll just see which one works and then we'll program in a config for that type of charger into our system to say, um, when you have to start charge at this charger, send it the remote start transaction command instead of the like change current to 32 amp command. Um, so yeah, we run through a lot of testing. Um, then we create a configuration for that charger. Then, um, then uh, hopefully uh, the um, firmware on that device stays consistent. But if for some reason some new firmware is added to that charger, some new developments are made. We'll redo, we'll redo the testing again, update the config, and work through, work through that. So yeah, there's a lot of, um, I guess, prior experience, testing lots of things, learning what are the options, and more and more we can now just test the charger, understand what it's capable of, deploy it straight to the platform without having to, to develop new solutions, but still, still that will come up as, as, as charges. Um, Great. Right, yeah. Awesome. In the news recently, there was a series round. Great news. You touched there yeah. that there are 40 engineers, some of which are in different locations. Talk to us a little bit about the expansion of EV energy and what people can actually expect, whether you're a software engineer, whether you're a customer, what can people expect from the expansion? Yeah, so um, like I said, we, we raised Series B um, uh, uh, fairly recently. Um, yeah, we are expanding um, our coverage across across the world, and we are we started in the UK. We've done a lot with utilities in the UK and, and in Europe, um, but almost from the start, we've also been operating in in the US. But right now, in the US, with um, with Various things that are going on, we're we're seeing a lot of um, energy utilities, energy markets really push for um, managed charging programs. Call of using the EVs that are coming into their uh, area. We should say energy utilities in the US are normally kind of geographic, so they'll um, they'll serve all customers in one area. They want to use the EVs coming into those areas, like New York City. Uh, to help balance the grid, and we partner with them to be able to do that. And we're yeah, we're expanding more and more across 
the US and, and partnering with more and more energy utilities. And the more we do that, the more we can uh, get the value of charging at those cheaper times and pass that directly on to, to the driver through incentives. So participate uh, in an EV energy run program in an energy utility in the US and you might save money um, on your bill or, or, um, or through other kind of forms of incentives. So yeah, uh, we're, we're, we're growing, we're trying to make it so that um, any driver anywhere can sign up and they can, can use uh, the program and get as many incentives as, as possible. And then what does that mean uh, for the engineers on the team? I think it means dealing with that challenge that I, that I mentioned, how do, we, how do we manage the tech uh, as we grow? How do we build software that allows us to grow quickly and, and integrate with lots of different things. So we talked extensively about cars and chargers, but we also need to integrate with um, hundreds of any energy utilities across the world, and they all operate in a slightly different way, and we need to, need to solve that problem too. So, um, so yeah, people that are excited about kind of dealing with that complexity and, and building really high-quality, simple interfaces for the, for the end user, um, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what to expect. Those kinds of challenges. Love it. A number of companies have used engineers as a platform to be able to share a little bit about where they're hiring in their teams and specific locations or tech stacks, as an example. Would you like to just give a little bit more oversight in regards to how you're looking to grow your team in what areas, so that people listening? can come and reach out to you or anyone else in the team. Yeah, of course. So um, what are we hiring for? Let me run through, I guess. Well, actually, before that, I, when, we, when we hire, as you've probably heard for other podcasts, we're, we're, we're very mission-driven. We really want to use this platform to help address climate change. It's a huge kind of existential threat to, to everyone. and, and um, EV Energy is a mission-driven company to, to, um, at its core. So when we're hiring, we really look for people that are excited by and understand and want to get and want to work uh, on, that, on that mission. So if you're someone like that, definitely get in touch. Um, but of course, there's, there's, um, there's certain skills that we're looking for actively um, that, that we need to expand the team. So um, tech stack-wise, we're... Python, Django, um, on AWS, um, on the back end. We've talked a lot about what that means. Uh, a lot of integrations work, a lot of kind of that interaction between hardware and software, that's, uh, that's important. Uh, on, the, on the front end side, we're React Native. Um, we have uh, the main EV Energy, React Native mobile application, but a couple of others in partnership with energy utilities. Uh, so we have a lot of React Native uh, we need to build. And then um, a couple of web front ends, one for drivers and one for more admins at these organizations that we partner with, and they are in um, uh, React. So mission-driven tech stack. And then um, where, as I said um, earlier, we're a fully remote team. Um, we hire in a lot of different places, but uh, right now we are looking a lot at expanding into the US. So it's kind of helpful if we 
we hire people within the US so that they're on the same um, time zone. So uh, East Coast works very nicely. If you're on the East Coast, you're you're well um, placed to to work with our teams across uh, from the, the the West Coast in California. We have a lot of people in the East Coast, and then we have uh, a number of people in in uh, the UK and Europe as well. So the short answer is we, we hire everywhere, but but at the moment we have a particular focus on, on the East Coast. Nice. Okay. I think for everyone listening, you've you've really got a solid business there. I think we've really dive deep into you know the three different areas and three different principles as well um, really that you're solving some of these challenges and the three principles as to how you apply that to the business series b backed obviously going places and obviously the expansion into the us is no small feat so the business is going places go and talk to ashley go and talk to the team reach out to them the careers pages below for everyone else to check out ashley i want to say a massive thanks for coming to join us you're obviously busy at the moment doing the us thing uh, so best of luck keep doing what you guys and girls are doing and we'll no doubt get you on a pod again uh, to see where the business has moved but again i reiterate everyone if you want a business who are solving mission-driven problems but at some serious scale go and talk to these guys and girls. Ashley, a huge thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. And um, for everyone liking, sharing, reposting this to colleagues, friends, please continue to do that. You know, this builds up the platform and allows us to get to this place. So it's massively appreciated. Hey guys, thanks for watching this episode. Uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.